Good day, good day, good day, and welcome to Tell the Damn Story. Hey, this is episode 94. Wow, we are six episodes away from 100. I'm pretty excited about that. I mean, I really am. Uh, long story there, but I'll go into that another time. Uh, hope you all are doing well. It is a somewhat muggy, uh, sunshiny day. It's about 80-something here in New York. And uh, I'm reasonably comfortable, although I'm about to change that because I'm going to turn off the air conditioning. Yes, because, you know, what are you going to do? But, you know, that little noise back there makes it sound like it's sort of I'm on a sailboat and the wind's blowing. Anyway, here I am. Uh, Alex Simmons here. Uh, Chris is off doing his thing. And we are uh, about to explore a big question today. Why do we or why do you tell your damn stories? Why do we do this? What's what's the point? I mean, if you've been following along, you know that we've talked about all kinds of uh, motivations for characters and things that led us to develop a particular concept or what it's like to work f towards deadlines or to do research or to deal with uh, rejection and, you know, a number of other th topics. We've interviewed people and they've shared their various experiences from... Uh, basically writing the stories they want to tell for uh, a small, you know, independent audience, uh, all the way to, hey, I, I did it as a paid gig uh, for a company. And now, you know, 30 some odd years later, some of my works has been the basis for some major film that's making gazillions of dollars and the whole world now knows about the, that character, those characters. So, I mean, we've, we've run a long gamut, and I think uh, because we've also talked about, you know, novelists, playwrights, comic writers, uh, theater, all of those things, those creative forms, we need to sort of look at why do we do this? Because, I mean, percentage-wise, uh, a certain percentage, a certain number of us will not uh, become filthy rich from this. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just a reality. It's not a downer. I mean, I hope hope you don't take it that way, but it's true. You know, there are scores of really talented people out there who make a living doing this. They don't become millionaires. They don't get uh, contracts for major films or for video games and things like that. Uh, that that isn't the road they're on or that they've traveled. I have uh, friends and associates who have uh, done, for instance, uh, comic books, you know, independently produced comic books that they've written and drawn. And they've done it for 20-some-odd years, and they've made a living putting out their own independent comic. They have a fan base. Uh, they've been recognized as artists. And sometimes they've received freelance work based on the fact that various other companies or whatever has seen their artwork through their comics. So that's, that's one way to go. I, I know of another artist who, um, after years of creating his own independent project, uh, a major publisher picked up not only whatever he was going to do with that character going forward, but also began to reprint in beautiful packages uh, a lot of his work from the previous years. So that can happen. Another young man came to me back in the 90s, an exciting uh, and excitable uh, young screenwriter, uh, who liked a character that I created, now my, my soldier of fortune, Blackjack, and wanted to try and get a film deal with him writing it, you know, and so we went through his agents and all this sort of stuff, producers that were involved, and that project didn't happen, but I now know that 
as he struggled and continued to work and so forth, he has now, in this day, reached a point where he's written, uh, with his wife, as a matter of fact, episodes of at least three major network television series. Uh, he's also uh, been involved in writing video games, you know, high, high-priced, high-profile video games, and some, some film credits. So, you know, you, you put yourself out there. You, you roll the dice and you try and say, you know, what am I going for? What's going to happen? And what am I in this for? What, I mean, why am I doing this? And I think that's the question. You know, some of us do it because it's, we think it's really cool. Man, I mean, it's really great. I, I grew up reading this and that. And so I want to do it too. And, and that's fine because, you know, we all need to be inspired to achieve beyond what maybe life is telling us this is all you got. And I think what happens to some of us is just like, you know, young actors who come to, to New York. Some of my dogs are you know, guarding me, you know, from, from imaginary as well as possible great dangers in the world. Uh, thank you very much there. Um, we, you know, certain actors by the thousands come to New York City or go out to Los Angeles and they want to become, you know, professionals. And, and some of them want to become stars, you know, that, that they want to go for that. That, that plateau, out of the thousands, a few make it. And, and then what happens to the rest? And I think that's always part of the, the bigger story is if you don't become a star, can you have a life? Can you have a career? And, and if you have to go through that reality of I'm not going to have top billing, I'm not going to have the Winnebago's and, and the, the, the major... Um, uh, five-star hotels situations and all of that. Am I doing this for myself and thus still feeling fulfilled? And and what is it I'm trying to create with my art? You know, as an actor, as a writer, what am I trying to do? So that really does come down to why do we tell our own damn stories? You know, wh- what are we in this for? And I thought I would look at that uh, through my lens and then, of course, periodically refer to people that I've, I've known over the years. And I would like you all, as, as I'm doing this, you know, think about it. You know, think about where you are in your journey and hopefully, you know, hold on to your passion uh, as, as you do it because that's one of the things that's going to save you. Um, coming up, I was, you know, raised by a single parent. My mom was definitely uh, my savior. Uh, she, she went through a lot to try and keep me on the old colloquialism, the straight and narrow. I was not a kid who seemed to be gravitating towards doing dastardly things. But, you know, I, I slip here and there. You know, we all explore sometimes those, those shadowy areas of the world. And um, I was not into doing drugs. That was not my thing. Thus, I was not into selling them because then I got to spend time with folks that I really didn't have any fondness for. But, you know, I was, I was a poor kid, and I was a kid who wanted more. You know, I wanted, I wanted some of the stuff that the other children that I knew had. And so, you know, you, 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 you contemplate not good things in order to have what you don't have. And I was lucky that I didn't, you know, move down that path and, and, and wind up where some of my, my schoolmates did. And part of that was because Mom was there, um, Mom believed in corporal punishment. I, I don't. <laughs> you know, I didn't like it as a kid, and I didn't want to pass that on to mine. Uh, but again, she had a way, 
even without that, she had a way of imparting to me certain values. And one of those things was she encouraged my creativity. She encouraged me to draw. She encouraged me to, to, to create stories. I'm not going to say, you know, make up stories because that makes it sound like I was telling lies all the time, which is another episode. Um, but no, she encouraged me to, you know, when I was playing with my action figures or when I was, you know, literally with pen and paper writing these ridiculous adventures and everything like that, you know, with super aliens and all this kind of, she was cool with that. You know, she didn't laugh at me. She didn't yell and tell me this was not the way to go. And following that little path of, okay, watching television and seeing things that, that you know, fired up my imagination and then eventually, you know, periodically getting to go to the movies and seeing the more fantastic things on these giant screens. I can remember um, maybe three major moments in film, you know, in a movie theater for me, uh, and, and something telling me that uh, I wanted to see more of the world, or I wanted to be a part of creating, you know, bigger tales and stories. Uh, I did see, when I was uh, 13, I saw Dr. Zhivago. Now, that's a long movie. That's a long movie. You know, and, and not too long after that, or before, I think it was before that, actually, I saw um, uh, Gandhi, which was, f I think, four hours. You know? And for a, a, a young kid like me, not hyper, but active, you know, to sit through films that long that took place in, in worlds I had no experience with, Something about the storytelling, about the characters, about the fact that these other worlds existed pulled me in. And it tied in with the kid who also on television would watch movies from other countries whenever I had the opportunity. And that told me over time that, yes, storytelling was a part of me and it was something that excited me and something that opened up windows and doors metaphorically to the world. And I wanted to see more of the world. I wanted to be part of that. I wanted to have those adventures. You know, and again, at a young age, you're reading comics or you're reading, uh, I don't know, Nancy Drew, the Hardy Boys, you know, whatever it is that you could get your hands on or whatever it was, the school assignment. Uh, and, and those things can lead you in a couple of different directions. But for me, you know, it led me on to, you know, reading Ray Bradbury. You know, Something Wicked This Way Comes was one of those books that just the opening first page made me think, I want to write like this. You know, the, 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 the way he used words affected me. Being exposed to Zora Neale Hurston's work, you know, that told me reams of things. It, it affected my view of women. It affected my view of black women. It affected my view of the past because in my growing up era, uh, a lot of what we were told was Booker T. Washington, George Washington Carver. You know, we were t we were told about slavery. Uh, we were not necessarily told about a W.E.B. Du Bois. We were not necessarily told about um, uh, Phyllis Wheatley and the people who were telling stories, writing stories, experiencing life and reef. Uh, reflecting that through literary uh, means. We, we weren't given that image uh, on a daily basis or a regular basis. So as you start to move forward in life, the fact that you can read, the fact that you are in love with stories and telling stories, you know, those are the things that make you want to explore more. It, it starts to expand your scope and your view of the world. And it affects what kind of stories you want to read and eventually what kind of stories you want to tell.
You know, that's a piece of it. That's a piece of it. So, you know, again, moving forward, a lot of my reading material through my younger years and into my teens was predominantly comic books. Uh, I did have these, you know, these sort of moments uh, like a month or two of suddenly I got to go to the library and I got to grab hard covered books and I got to be turning, you know, 200 pages of, of a story. I got to do that because something says you got to read this, you got to read that, you know, you're interested in it. And then months would go by where I'm only reading comics or maybe the newspaper, maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe I'm reading the comics in the newspaper, but I wouldn't go near the library or except, you know, school assignments, that sort of thing. But again, as you move forward, you're being influenced by the materials that you're being exposed to. And I found early in my life that I was, my, you know, my genre of choice was mystery and adventure. You know, so I like detective stuff. So I like solving mysteries. I like adventure tales, uh, more so than biographies and, and historical facts and things like that. So again, you move in that direction and you're still reading. You're still looking at the world through this lens and it's still influencing the kind of stories that I was fabricating, you know, for my own enjoyment or later for the enjoyment of my friends. But I felt compelled to tell stories, you know, and I didn't analyze until later. But by my teens, I'm telling stories, you know, I'm, I'm writing them or I'm working them out again. Yes, I still had action figures. Thank you very much. I'm working it out with um, hero images. I'm working out... Uh, you know, save the world or, 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 or save something of value. Uh, I'm not aware of the fact that even though most of my heroes in the comics and in some of the novels are white, I'm not seeing myself as a white hero. I'm seeing myself as a hero. I'm seeing me doing heroic things. So somewhere in that, you know, and, and we're talking about the, the, the 70s, 60s, 70s. So you've got, you got the black movement happening. You've got the civil rights movement happening. You've got the women's liberation movement happening. You've got the gay liberation movement happening. You've got a lot of awareness to the human condition going on at that time. And perhaps that's a piece of how my brain worked. I was always interested in the world and how I could explore it. So I didn't necessarily see myself, consciously anyway, as a black man who couldn't go out and see the world. I saw myself as this kid who's black, who wanted to go out and see the world and wanted to explore all these different places, you know, Europe, Africa, uh, Asia, you know, the, 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 the islands, you know, you want to see these things. You want to you be on a, on a sailing sh vessel. You want to you be out on an ocean liner. You want to fly the Atlantic. You want to climb mountains. You want to find secret caves. You know, these are things that I wanted to do. And my skin color, as far as I was concerned, was not a problem. Now, yes, the world is telling me, hang on. <laughs> there are places, if you go, you may not come back. But then again, step off the curb the wrong way. Don't pay attention to the changing lights and you may not make it across the street. So what fear do you embrace? You know, where are the barriers? So processing, okay? I'm, I'm a teen. I'm about to approach my early 20s. I'm graduating high school. My mom is very sick and winds up in the hospital, and a few months after that winds up in a nursing home, and I'm now on survival mode. It's a fi find a place to live, get a job, try and keep yourself going. 
and that's a struggle. And that's dealing with loneliness, and that's dealing with finding out who your friends really are, and finding out, you know, what you're capable of and what you're not. Dropping the ball more than once, you know, making making a wrong move left or right, not feeling like I'm going to accomplish anything, you know, admitting being alone and afraid. These were all passages I had to go through. I've talked about um, Billy Graham, the artist, not the evangelist. Uh, I've talked about Billy on uh, several shows. Uh, Chris and I even talked about it. And um, he was he was one of those people who was there for me during that difficult time. And it is good to have a role model. It is good to have somebody who doesn't have to be in your corner choose to be in your corner, choose to help keep you sane or leveled, you know, while you're trying to figure things out, especially when you're not sure you can, you know, especially in those moments. And Billy was there. And, you know, I will never, ever, ever be able to thank him enough for that, for that year and a half or two where he was an anchor, not, not as in holding me down, but in, in keeping me from drifting off in the wrong direction or getting lost out there, right? But I can, I figured I can, like with others who were there for me and, and my way of paying them back is by paying it forward. So I made certain choices in my early 20s that I would, you know, always share uh, as I was growing creatively, I would share that. And that was, you know, and I would tell how I got where I am at that time. You know, that's sharing that story. That's figuring that out. At the same time, I'm being influenced by other people as I'm moving forward. And I'm reading more, okay? So now we started with comics and we started with the Hardy Boys and we started with television and, and fantastic movies like Jason and the Argonauts and all that stuff. And and again, Dr. Zhivago and, and From Russia With Love and all these things. That's all early stuff. Now we're moving forward. I'm, I'm meeting, you know, people like I get in on projects and I'm meeting Nicolas Amor, who's a, a, a Latina uh, author. Um, I think it was a, El Barrio was one of her books. And she, the Bronx is one of the books she wrote. And that was about uh, migration of Puerto Ricans from Puerto Rico to New York City. Um, and, and at that time, that was like one of the first books that I had ever read about that story. Yet... One of my closest friends at that time was was Angel, and he and I had known each other since we were 13, and I'd known his family, you know, and his brothers and sisters and mom and father, you know, all that stuff, but they were like people that I knew. They were my friends. They were, you know, all of those things that make my normal day normal. I didn't think of them as these Puerto Ricans who happened to come from another country and landed here, you know, even though I didn't speak Spanish and should have learned it from them or from Lillian and her family, people like that. These were, these, are, these were people who were part of my life. And yes, I was being influenced by spending time with them, but I didn't see them as others. I didn't see them as, I didn't see the immigration. I saw folks. And so now reading her book caused me to look at them through a different lens, not changing my feeling towards them, but expanding on it, you know, and giving me a different point of view and, and realizing how much I'd never asked them or how much I never appreciated about them and, you know, how amazed I was by certain things. My mother once said to me, um, you know, so she, she had a hard time. She had a health, health issues and so forth. 
And um, she's matter of fact, she, because of her health, she didn't graduate high school when she was in school. So somewhere around my 13th year, whatever, 14th, I forget exactly, she went back and got her high school diploma. She took courses because she wanted me to know that she valued education as best she could, despite her health, she went and did that. And that played in my head. You know, I didn't go on to, you know, get a bachelor degree and stuff like that. But as they said in the old Monty Python movie, I'm not dead yet. But, you know, again, something that fed in there, the value of knowledge, acquiring knowledge, learning, always expanding on what you know, somehow, some way, day to day or through academics. And so moving forward again, I'm still reading and, and, you know, and I read a lot of different things. You know, again, Nicholas Amore being exposed to that. Even looking at movies, you know, began to take on a slightly different feel in my 20s. I had seen Charlie Chaplin films. Uh, for those of you who, who know of that character, he was a silent film comedian. Uh, and his most famous character was the Tramp, uh, this guy who's basically down and out financially. He has no, no, no job job normally. It's always get this job, lose that job, get another job, lose that job. Uh, he would live in flop houses and things like that. He, his clothing had holes in it or patches or things like that. But somehow he always persevered. You know, he would fall in love with somebody and, and in some way we would, we would root for him. We would hope it would work out because it looked like it might. And often it didn't. But you know what? Tomorrow's another day. And that was a message he was putting out there. And I didn't, originally I saw this as funny comedies and I would watch them, you know, on television or whatever. And some, sometimes I would find a theater that was showing them and I would go and I think, this is great. This is fun. This is hilarious. This is clever. But I didn't get the full message until later. And then you start to assimilate that. Yes, you, they can kick you. They can beat you down. If you stay down, they've won. You get up, you brush off, you keep going, you win. And that was a message there. So again, he told his story several times through different means of of, of the uh, of the movies that he did, and I feel like that was that was something he had to say. You know, Nicolasa talking about you know immigration of Puerto Ricans in the fifties and sixties. That was something she had to say. Uh, w. E. B. Du Bois talking about the souls of black folks. That was something he had to say. And as I move forward, I look into the comics and things that I was reading at that time. You know, why did Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams do that whole Green Lantern, Green Arrow run? I think it was like a year or so of Finding America. You know, the two of them out there going through different states, different situations, different storylines, different dangers. You know, some of them a little, you know, more fantastic because you got superheroes, you know, going up against it. But still... The story of America, finding America, you know, dealing with, with race or religion or drugs or things. Why did they suddenly start doing that with comic book characters that up until that point had pretty much been fighting bad guys, you know, thieves, thugs, aliens, you know, maybe a monster or two, robots, whatever. Why did they have to tell that story? Well, partially because what was going on in society, 60s, 70s. But then obviously something else motivated these two to say, yeah, those are the stories I'm going to tell. I have a choice. I can continue doing what's been going on, what is happening right around me in terms of the kind of stories others are telling. But no, this is what I want to do. Here's another thought. 
quite often at uh, events and things, I would talk about Gene Yang's uh, American Born Chinese, which is a great graphic novel about a Chinese uh, American boy basically dealing with which culture do I embrace, the American culture you know, that I'm, I'm sort of immersed in and surrounded by, uh, or who I am and, and how I fit in the world, you know, which direction, you know, where do I belong? And it's a, it's a great book, um, and I, you know, he did it some years ago, and I still, I still stand by my, my opinion of it. It's really a great book, and if you get a chance, you should check it out. I didn't realize that Gene had also uh, written uh, another graphic novel called The um, Shadow Hero, and it's, it's, it's sort of a, a, a different spin on a 1940s comic character that was completely lost to 96% of the world uh, because it was a short-lived series and all that. But it was about a superhero in the 1940s who was Chinese. And I vaguely remember stumbling across an issue or two of this when I was, you know, researching and, and, and looking at a lot of the old comics and things from that era, you know, Captain America and all these other things. But I'd forgotten about it. And then Gene took this this concept this this character like i said put his spin on it and created an origin story a graphic novel story about this character and i, f I forget the artist please forgive me artist you know but if you guys look it up the shadow hero by gene yang um i think it's on amazon so you know check it out but either way that's a great story because now here's gene yang he's told us something about the chinese slash american experience through American-born Chinese, but now he's telling us another story and coming from someplace that he either understands or is affected by or feels we need to look at. And that's, you know, that's who we are as creators. Uh, another example would be um, uh, Chris's, Chris Ryan's uh, books. He, you know, he's a, a high school teacher. You know, in, in his everyday identity, before he takes off his glasses and opens up his, his button-down sh shirt, he's a high school teacher, and he gives us Genius High, you know, which talks about, you know, what's more important, grades or the human being, you know, in terms of teenagers. But then let's take it to another level, and what, what, what if in order to schools and, and, and education system looking better, if they experiment with the kids and suddenly these powers or these these things begin to develop within the kids that take them in a completely different course and not necessarily a good one. Um, high school teacher, writer, meld the two experiences, human experience or human attitudes about the human condition, puts that into a book called Genius High. Same writer gives us a simple rebellion, you know, where we're looking at the political and social climate of America at this time and what does he have to say about that? And how does he say it through the particular storyline and character and plot that Chris Ryan creates to say what he has to say? So that's what we do as storytellers. We come from who we are, what we feel, what we believe, what we've experienced. And we, f we filter everything <laughs> through us to tell the stories that we feel you might want to hear, need to hear, must know about so that you can do something, please. Um, Don McGregor. I can't talk about comics without talking about my friend Don McGregor. Uh, McGregor, who I, I lovingly, and I mean that, I lovingly refer to as this little short guy, little short white guy from Rhode Island. Uh, fiery, fiery, passionate, 
passionate storyteller. I could call him a fiery, passionate writer because he says that's really all he does is write. No, no, he's a little bit more than that. He's a storyteller. You know, yes, writing is his medium of choice. But if you sit with him and he talks about things he's experienced or you're dialoguing about things you both have experienced in your lives, he tells stories. He wraps them in beginning, middle, and end. He builds to a climax. He, there, is, there is a fall after that climax. There's a resolution or an open-ended ending. You know, he was born to tell stories, whether it's, it's a little slice of life as a little child that he experienced or the bigger issues of, of homophobia or racism or, or, or failed marriages or, or, or whatever. He can do it. Love is a big thing with Donnie. You know, he, he loves love. And he's a loving person. Don't piss him off. You know, but he's a loving person. He's a giving person. And all of that passion comes through his, his storytelling. And so he, he has no choice. <laughs> he can't do anything other than what he does is to put his heart and soul into whatever he's writing, whatever story he's trying to tell. And because he connects to people and the human experience, he talks about the human experience. You know, whether it's through day-to-day -day human beings, private detectives, aliens, you know, post-apocalyptic America or, or the, you know, the Sunny Valley USA, Don McGregor tells the human condition. And that's what he was born to do. And I don't think he's, he's going to change at this late date in his life. But some of the things that he did with, you know, Detectives, Inc., with uh, the Black Panther, which, you know, again, his run on that uh, gave us 80% of the movie that everybody went bonkers over. I'm not taking anything away from the, the filmmakers. Don't get me wrong. But they had inspired material uh, from McGregor to Reggie Hudlin to, you know, all the people who worked, Christopher Priest, all the people who worked to build that up. And, you know, let's start with Jack Kirby, a little short white guy from Hell's Kitchen, you know, New York City. So, I mean, we have a cornucopia of people who, for whatever reason, were compelled to tell their stories through their particular medium or craft or skill level. Now, again, let's talk wide variety because I, I don't know who's listening here. You know, I don't know all of you. I get emails from some of you. But, you know, I experienced, because I worked in, with kids and, and I worked in uh, uh, children's books and things like that, uh, I experienced Judy Bloom. I read Judy Bloom. I read... Uh, uh, was it Laura Lee Hope, which is the Bobsy Twins? I read, you know, uh, uh, the, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy who supposedly wrote the the, um, the Hardy Boys. It just is not on the tip of my tongue right now. But either way, you know, I read a lot of the fiction material that goes to children or or middle grade or YA young adult. And again, you you can read the stories that are the cute dimples in the cheeks kind of stories. Or you can read about nappy hair, which talks about, you know, a, a black child, in particular girl's view of herself, her own self-worth and image, you know, through this young person's story. And, and it can have major relevance because aside from color, you know, there's body, you know, there's, 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 there's social status, there's financial status. There are all these little measuring sticks that we have to go through in life no matter where we are, no matter who we are. I mean, unless you're born unbelievably rich and cosmopolitan, you know, gorgeous, according to the social status, 
you have to somehow figure out how do I fit into this world and, and, and how, how do I deal with how people look at me and feel about me, blah, 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 blah. So children's books are major tools to not only telling stories, good stories, fun stories, uh, life-changing stories, but they're also some of the first platforms in which young kids, young people, can begin to try and find themselves. If they can see themselves in these characters and they're feeling like they're out of place, if they're feeling like nobody knows me, nobody likes me, I'm weird or whatever, and they, they can read stories that say, no, you're not alone. You're not the weirdest thing on the planet. You know, this is happening for me. You read um, Rainia uh, Telgemeier's uh, drama or Smile, you know, and, and, and people can feel this is, this is life. I know this life. I know these people. Or, this is what I'm going through. And you find a way of identifying. I, I mentioned McGregor earlier when I was still in my late teens, early 20s. He was the one who turned me on to um, Evan Hunter, who wrote Blackboard Jungle and Mr. Budwing. Now, this is the same guy who then, under a pseudonym, wrote the 87th Precinct uh, Detective Mysteries. Why he wrote under two different names, that's a whole other thing, you know, about, uh, you know, keeping your, your brand separate and, and, and to write these little detective mysteries, these paperbacks, you know, is not as prestigious as writing the novels with the hardbound, you know, covers and all that. Yeah, but by the same token, he didn't write one with less skill than the other. You know, Evan Hunter and Budwing read, you know, um, Evan Hunter's Budwing and Blackboard Jungle, rather, read just as well as the 87th Precinct stories. One's a series of stories and one or two different novels, and the quality level is the same. And in and, and each one, you're meeting these people, these characters, these situations that somewhere along the lines you can connect to. Because those stories are familiar stories or they're enlightening stories. They're compelling you to learn more, to experience more, to understand more, to believe that you maybe even fit in. Or maybe this is something you want to do something about. You know this situation exists and you've been ignoring it. And now, you know what, now I feel compelled to, to, be, to get involved. Uh, Jerry Craft, I may be switching gears here, but I'm not. Trust me on this. Jerry Craft is a, a buddy of mine and uh, we met years ago at a convention, a comic book uh, and graphic novel convention in uh, Vermont. And he, for years, as a, as a talented writer and illustrator, cartoonist, uh, was doing his own independent series called Mama's Boys. And it was about a single mother, a black woman, raising her two sons. And she owns a bookstore. Now, remember earlier I said things about literacy and how we, African-Americans, were in the early, early days, really most of our depiction had little to do with us reading or writing or having any, any kind of literary focus. So here's a woman who owns a bookstore, so reading to her is extremely important. She's got two teenage sons. Poor woman. <laughs> I know what it was like for my mom, you know, just raising me. But, you know, she, she, she wants to keep them on the right path. She wants to help them explore. And so Jerry was doing these humorous, family-oriented storylines with them. But he would also infuse socially relevant material into the stories. I mean, just by showing that there were aunts and uncles and people that were in the boys' lives changed a lot of the POV, point of view, of black families. No, it's not just the mom and the husband's run out and blah, 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 blah. You know, these aren't just black kids hanging out on the street getting in trouble. There's, no, no, here's a family, and this is a representation of other black families. 
Uh, but again, humorous situations, family-oriented situations that, that transcended race, Jerry put that in there. So for years he was doing this project on his own, and now, Brother Jerry, my friend, my, please remember me when you're rich and famous, um, my friend Jerry has just uh, had his new book released. Um, I, I forget what month, but it came out recently, and it's called The New Kid, and this is not Jerry doing Jerry now. This is from Harper. Yeah, Harper has this magnificent graphic novel, and The New Kid is sort of autobiographical. It's about Jerry's experience as he, um, at that point in his life, this uh, young African-American boy going to a rather well-known, somewhat prestigious, predominantly white um, school in, in um, I want to say Riverdale, which is in, not, not Archie's Riverdale, but there's a portion of the Bronx called Riverdale. And so he went to school there. And it's a great, it's a great graphic novel. It's huge. Jerry, I didn't know you had this much in you. But, you know, it's over 200 pages. Beautifully drawn. And it's, it's my boy. And so is, this was a story he wanted to tell. This is a story that had been in him for years, you know, simmering, as it were. And he was telling his other stories through Mama's Boys and the other works that he did. But this is Jerry's story. This is a story Jerry wanted to share with the world and now has that opportunity. And, and the way he did it, you can tell this was important to him. Now, there are other people that I will name drop from time to time because I'm not trying to say, look, look at all the people I know or I've read or I've been exposed to. But I am trying to say that it is important that you understand whether it's purely for entertainment purposes or a greater cause or the greater good, why you tell the stories you want to tell, why this genre or this tone or this style, this voice, because that's a part of what will help you continue, will keep you going, especially during the difficult times. If you're committed to writing because, oh, it's cool, okay. If you're committed to writing and, and getting your stories out there because, well, you want to make a lot of money and you want people to know your name, okay. If you're committed to, again, doing all this because you want to be heard, okay. Those are all valid reasons. And at some point along the journey, you're going to hit a wall and you're going to need to figure out how to get through it, under it, around it, over it. And your motivation will be tested. More people that I know who quit creatively, quit on themselves creatively, did it because they weren't clear on what the journey entailed and why they were doing it, why they were going after it. If you're meant to be a creative, if you're meant to be a writer, if you're meant to be, I mean, if in you, I don't mean if other people judge you as worthy. I'm saying if you feel this is what I have to do, it's me, then do it. Tell your stories. Tell them independently. Publish them yourselves. You know, independent you know, publishing is, is a real deal now. You know, or strive to get your stories out in whatever the, the medium is that you have chosen and try to get others to pay you to do those stories. Try to sell your stories, you know, for a little bit of money or a lot of money, whichever the goals are. I mean, if you feel you got to tell these stories, tell them. Definitely do that. Try not to let what happens hold you back. 
But in understanding why you're doing this, why you really are pushing to accomplish this, there is some power, and that may be of use to you. I was um, going to ask you, and I would really like some of you to think about this and get back to me. Um, how do you pick the stories that you choose to write? You know, how, where do the ideas come from? What what what's your source, or what are your sources? You know. Another question, what's your voice? What's your style? You know, do you have um, uh, a great love for words? And so, you, you know, you, they just billow out of you, you know, this, this long melodic sentences and things like that. Or are you more conversational? Or do you have um, a particular... Um, tone or character to your to your writing style that, that that says it's from this particular background or that particular culture and that's a deliberate thing that you're going for do you like to tell it from first person or from third person point of view you know are you the narrator of your own tales or are you that omnipotent being who sees all and can tell us the story from multiple points of view yeah Who's your audience? That's a third question. Who are you writing for? Now, again, I just said, you know, make sure that you write for yourself. If this is what you feel compelled to do, do that. Absolutely. But then who do you hope will read your stories and enjoy your stories or go see your films? Who are you writing for? What kind of people? What age range? You know, are you doing stories that you want to empower and inspire or inform your your people people from your culture your background your race your religion are you doing stories that you want to inform and and maybe raise some clouds and 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 some shades in the eyes of others in terms of how they see you because of your your lifestyle your 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 choice of of partner or your belief system. You know, who, who are you writing? Are you writing just to make people laugh? Just to take some of the oppressive negative weight off our shoulders for the time it takes us to read your 80, 106, 200, 300 page book, to see your film short or long, to listen to your music and your lyrics. Are you trying to make us feel better about ourselves or just make us breathe, give us a chance to breathe and feel hopeful for a moment? What are you trying to accomplish with your stories? What do you believe? That's my last question. What do you believe? Do you believe that we have a chance? Do you believe that aliens exist? Do you believe that magic is real? Do you believe that the vast majority of human beings are pathetic or misguided? Think about these things. Think about what you want to say with your stories. Think about why you tell these stories. Think about what it does for you. When I write, and, and again, uh, 
McGregor is is a writer. I mean, I, I'm not even judging our skill levels. I'm simply saying that Don's whole heart and soul and passion goes into his writing. He bleeds into his computer or onto the paper. Ink. He writes. I write, but I also tell stories. I like to produce things. Uh, I like to draw. You know, I I like to sort of move through different mediums, good or bad. That's that's who I am. And I loved acting. I, I miss it quite a bit. But I made some choices about what I would or wouldn't do as I moved along pursuing a career. So I haven't pursued acting as much as I used to. Uh, I used to do voiceovers and things like that, and I sort of stepped away from that. But again, those were things that I did a lot of. So I went in different directions. But whenever I tell stories, whenever I appear in front of people at a speaking engagement or teach a master class or any of those things, I enjoy sharing stories. I enjoy informing. I enjoy hearing, you know, that sort of call and answer from my audience, you know, connecting that way. Um, so I move forward with sharing experiences and learning. That's, that's sort of my path. I will throw stories out there and hope that they connect with people. And then I'm eager to hear feedback or I'm eager to discover more about life and to maybe share those stories either this way through a podcast or maybe something that I write. And even then, not necessarily serious material. You know, if you read any of my Scooby-Doo comics, <laughs> you, know, you know, I mean, that's pretty goofy stuff, but... I, Throw in little tiny seeds of humanity in there, little little life lessons that I think were important to me or I hope will, you know, help somebody feel better about something. Uh, even with the Archie comics that I wrote, you know, again, there's um, well, a quick example is the Obama Sarah Palin Archie story that I did, which was a, a two parter. And when you read it, you've got the goofy sort of scenario of Archie. And, and Reggie do something that eventually winds up with President Obama and Sarah Palin coming to Riverdale and being a little ticked with them, right? And it's the whole thing that happens there. And, and I hope it's, you know, folks who read it found it funny and all that. But underneath it was a little bit about media manipulation and how we use sound bites and photo ops and things like that to create certain impressions, whether they're accurate or not. So we can do a lot with the storytelling that we choose to follow. You know, we can do a great deal. with. We can entertain like crazy. We can inform. We can educate. We can shock you. You know, I think you might want to ask yourself, what do you want to do with your stories? Why do you tell them? Who do you tell them for? These are all questions I put out there. So in conclusion, um, you know, fame or fortune, or just because it's what allows you to breathe, get back to me, if you will, and let me know. Why, why do you do what you do? What kind of stories do you like to tell? Who's, who's your audience? You know, answer some of the questions I put forth. I'd really, really love to hear back from you. And I hope um, that as you go forth, you continue to tell your damn stories. Because I assure you, I will be telling mine. Take care.